0: Well, again, good morning. Uh, It's great to see y'all, great to be back. Uh, Langley and the kids and I were in North Carolina for uh, the last two weeks together and uh, just had a wonderful time, restful time. Uh, Got to spend a lot of time on my father-in-law's boat, which my father-in-law is my favorite father-in-law, and uh, so that was awesome, and uh, it was just really, really great, but we're so glad to be back. Uh, Miss y'all and love y'all, and so... I also want to say just a special thanks to, uh, to Derek and to Jack. Uh, we're just so blessed to have uh, men who love the Lord and love his word um, preaching it to us. Uh, and so I just I want to say thank you uh, to, to, to those of you who did that. And just grateful for our community. Uh, we are continuing in a series that uh, we've been calling We Believe. Uh, We believe, uh, subtitled Affirming the Apostles' Creed. And just to go back as a quick reminder, why why are we doing this? Why are we working? We're about halfway through uh, this uh, series looking at the creed. Why are we looking at the creed? Um, Really, in short, because what we believe actually shapes how we live. And so looking at the creed um, is a helpful outline to teach us what it is the Bible actually has to say about God And so it shapes what we believe. So we are, again, not preaching the creed, but we're using the creed as a guide to preach God's word. And this morning, I'm excited uh, to open God's word together. And so if you would... Grab a Bible and open to Acts chapter 1, those verses we just read. That's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, and if you uh, don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to grab one of the Bibles uh, in the seatbacks near you. Uh, and if you do that, you may, uh, if you've been here for a while, you may notice, we got some new Bibles. I'm really excited. We got new uh, uh, black ESV Bibles. That's the Bible that I teach and preach from. It's the Bible we use for our readings. And so uh, on Friday, my kids wanted to make sure uh, I mentioned that they were our Bible replacement team. And they did an awesome job. So good job, kids, replacing the Bible. And uh, so if you want to open your uh, new Bible, that new black ESV that's near you, you can open one up to Acts chapter 1, and I think it's on page 909, if that helps you out. So um, as you're turning there, I just wanted to ask you a question. We're talking about the ascension uh, this morning. And and, and just thinking about the ascension, uh, I was curious, you know, just kind of, uh, pride your thinking. If the words, uh, He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, if that was not in the creed, so I want you to think about it. If it was not in the creed, uh, if it was left out, one, do you think you would have noticed? <laughs> and two, does it matter? Would it really matter? And I ask that because um, I think when we think of Jesus and his life, right, we tend to think uh, big moments in Jesus' life, you know, like, so his birth, Christmas. We think about his baptism with John the Baptist. We might think of his, his teachings and his miracles. We might think of Jesus' uh, death on the cross and his resurrection as we celebrated Easter. Um, and then we might think of Pentecost. We love Pentecost, celebrating the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. Um, but I think we can miss the ascension. In fact, it, it might surprise you to know that just like there's Christmas and, uh, and Easter and Pentecost, there's actually a day set apart for Ascension Day. Uh, Ascension Day falls between Easter and Pentecost. And uh, it's just interesting to me that Ascension kind of fades to the background pretty quickly, I think, uh, in the modern church. And there's a few hymns written about it, there's a few books written about it, there's rare sermons on the ascension. And so I think given the fact that it's in the creed, right, just should draw our attention to the fact, okay, this is essential. This is important for us to know and understand what the ascension actually is and why it is essential to our faith as followers of Jesus. So this morning I want us to look at the ascension, and we're going to start in Acts chapter 1. Um, but really three questions I want us to look at as we look at the ascension. First, what is it? what actually is the ascension? Two, what does the ascension mean? What's the significance of it? And then three, why does the ascension matter for us as followers of Jesus? So we're going to look at those three questions. So the first, what is the ascension? Maybe you don't know what the ascension actually is. You'd be in good company. So let's look and ask, what is the ascension actually? And we just read what it is, right? So as we look in Acts chapter one, or if you wanted to turn to Mark chapter 16, or if you want to look in Luke chapter 24, there are explicit descriptions of what is called the ascension. And I would encourage you to do that this week. Take your Bible, look at Mark 16, look at Luke 24, look at this chapter in Acts. But if you really wanted to drill down on what it is, Acts chapter one, verse nine. So if you want to look there, this is what it says. And when Jesus had said these things, As they were looking on, that's the disciples, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. That's the ascension. That's the moment, the event. Here in Acts 1, what we're getting is this glimpse of Jesus' final moments after the resurrection. Some 40 days after he had risen from the dead, he is taken up into heaven in front of his closest followers. And so we get this glimpse of this dramatic final moment. And so in short, if you're saying, well, what is the ascension? The ascension is Jesus returning to heaven. That's what we're talking about when we use that word, Jesus returning to heaven. Uh, Repeatedly, it says in all these descriptions in Mark and Luke and Acts, it says that he went into heaven. Now, what's interesting is just to think about, okay, well, what, what does that actually mean, right? Like what To me, okay, that's pretty clear. That's what the Ascension is. But a lot of questions come up for me around, okay, what are we actually talking about just took place when we talk about the Ascension? And so I I just want to kind of address, I think, three things that are happening with the Ascension. And the first is this, that Jesus in the Ascension is being exalted. Jesus in the Ascension is being exalted. We're told uh, that he was lifted up that he was carried up, that he was taken up into heaven. That's the language that gets used uh, here in Acts 1 and in Mark 16 and Luke 24. Jesus is, he's going up. No matter what else is happening, there's some sense in which he is, he's going up, right? So something supernatural is taking place. Uh, I love what C.S. Lewis says when he's describing the ascension. He says, uh, he just, he just kind of cuts to it. He says, Jesus made a short vertical movement and then vague luminosity, And then nothing. That's his description of the ascension. I love that. Short vertical movement, vague kind of brightness going on, and then poof, he's gone. That's what happened. Uh, So where did Jesus go? What happened to Jesus? To say he was taken uh, up into heaven, right, is, it is directional, right? So we want to recognize that. There's, There's a spatial, directional, physical thing that's happening. He is, this isn't just pure metaphor. He's being taken up, so he's going up, short vertical movement, Um, but he doesn't just go up, right? He then disappears. He disappears from their sight. Um, So maybe first, what this doesn't mean. What the Bible here is not telling us is that Jesus has kind of disappeared into uh, the sky and is like hanging out on some cloud, right, somewhere, or that he's kind of me up, right, into outer space, right? That's a Sometimes the ascension gets poked fun at, right? Because that's what it sounds like. That is not what's happening here. This ultimately isn't about a spatial move as much as it is about a spiritual move, right? So maybe the best way to think of this is the ascension as a sign, right? So the ascension as a sign, a sign communicating visually, physically, it really happened, the return of the crucified and resurrected Jesus to glory as the second member of the Trinity and his return to the eternal presence of God. All right. So let me just say that again. A sign communicating the return of the crucified and resurrected Jesus to glory as the second member of the Trinity and his return to the eternal presence of God. So shorthand, it was Jesus the Son returning to God the Father, All right? So that's just the easy way to think about this idea of ex- exaltation. So, in fact, he's going back and he's being exalted to his father's right hand. Paul, in Philippians chapter 2, this is what he says about the, uh, the ascension. He says, Therefore God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus is returning as the son to the Father, but when he gets there, something really special happens. He gets to sit at the right hand of the Father, of God the Father. And when he sits at the right hand of the Father, it means he is given supreme authority over everything, the cosmos, all of creation. All that is is now under Jesus' feet is what Paul is telling us. And so every tongue one day, even if they don't do it today, one day they will confess that reality because that is reality now that Jesus has returned in glory to sit at the right hand of the Father. So when Jesus returns to the Father, he gets to sit at the right hand, which means he has supreme authority over everything. Everything that exists has now come under his reign as king. Right? So that's what's being talked about here. Jesus, in short, is being ascended and being crowned king over all creation. That's what happens at the ascension. So that's the first thing. The second thing that happens in the ascension is that the Holy Spirit is given to the church. Right? We, we think of when we received it, Pentecost, which is amazing. But actually, there's a, when Jesus goes up, the Spirit comes down. That's what Scripture teaches. And so it's this amazing miracle that takes place. Jesus repeatedly said to his disciples, and you see it here in Acts chapter one. It says, the Holy Spirit when I go, will come. The Holy Spirit, he said, will come upon them, will come upon you, my followers. In John 16, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it's your advantage. Listen to this. It's your advantage, to your advantage that when I go, the Spirit will come, that I go away, right? If I do not go away, the helper cannot come to you, is what Jesus says. John 16, seven. So Jesus is saying, look, I'm leaving you. And I think we Sometimes we think, man, if we just had the physical Jesus with us, it would be better. Jesus didn't think so. He actually said, it'll be better for you if I leave you. Now, that's hard. I think that's hard for us to believe, but it's what Jesus says. He says, look, I'm going to always be with you. And in fact, this is better. It's just different. The Spirit is going to be with you. The ascension meant that Jesus' presence would no longer be constrained by physical time and place. No longer constrained through his ascension, his presence could be known by anyone and everyone throughout his creation. That's the miracle of the ascension and the coming of the Spirit. It's through the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that's why Jesus said for for him to leave is better because now the Spirit can come and Christ can live in us and we can live in Christ. So we're going to talk more about the Holy Spirit uh, in a couple weeks. It's he gets his own line in the creed, and so we're gonna we're gonna focus in on the Holy Spirit. But I did want us to recognize that it's through the ascension, right, that the Holy Spirit uh, comes and we receive this great gift as the church. So, uh, so first, <clears throat> excuse me. So first, Jesus is exalted as King. Second, the Holy Spirit is given to the church, and then third, uh, what it means is our heavenly home is being prepared. This is a great promise in the ascension. Uh, in other words it's saying the ascension is reminding us that we were made for life with God, now and for eternity. And Jesus' ascension communicates that and even does more than that. Jesus is working on our behalf in the heavens to prepare a future and eternal home for us with God forever. So Jesus comforted his disciples by telling them that when he had departed, he was going to go prepare a place for them. He said, in my father's house, there are many rooms if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? So Jesus promises that's what he's doing. One day we will have the joy of living with God forever in his presence. And Jesus has gone ahead to prepare that for us. One day, all those who repent of their sins and put their faith in Jesus will partake fully, fully, what we taste now, but fully one day, what it means to be citizens <laughs> in heaven, fully what it means to be in the presence of our creator and of our God and the lover of our souls. And so that's the promise of the ascension. So so that's what the ascension is. It's, It's Jesus the Son returning to God the Father, and it's Jesus exalted as King and the Spirit coming to the church and our heavenly home being prepared. So think of those things when you think of the ascension. So what does the ascension mean? Our second question, what does the ascension mean? So the ascension actually means a lot, a lot of things that we don't have time to talk through this morning. Uh, It means that Jesus is who he said he is. Uh, It means that God recognized his life, death, and resurrection as the perfect sacrifice, the atonement for our sins. We've been made right with God through Jesus, and the ascension affirms that. It means that heaven is real. It's a real place. It's not just an idea. It's not just the ether out there or a state of mind. It's a real thing. Heaven is real, and this is the Son of God, our Savior, that we worship. Um, This is our hope and our future life with God forever. That's what the ascension means. But I want to focus on one thing that I think it means uh, for us, and I would say this. The ascension, among other things, means that Jesus' kingdom has indeed come. Jesus' kingdom has indeed come. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Right when he was getting started, when he was gathering his first disciples, when he was preaching for the first time, when he was doing his first miracles, this is what he said, Mark 1 15, he said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus came to the earth to bring God's kingdom and the ascension says he did, he did it. Through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, he did. He inaugurated God's new kingdom here on the earth. So on earth, what did he do when he was here? He pushed back the kingdom of darkness everywhere he went. Every time he healed somebody, every time he, he got someone who was lame and they could walk, every time he opened eyes, every time he did a miracle, every time he cast out a demon, it was the kingdom coming. And not only that, it was every time he opened his mouth and proclaimed the truth of God's word and he fulfilled the promises of God in the Old Testament. He was bringing God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. That's what was taking place. And so in heaven, Jesus is continuing this ministry and in heaven he is reigning over this kingdom that he has inaugurated. Christ sits on the throne and his his foot is on the head of Satan, the serpent. That's what we're told. So that's the picture that we should have of where Jesus is and what he is doing. The amazing truth then is that we, as followers of Jesus, we are in Christ, right? We're united with Christ, which means as he reigns in heaven, we are in him and with him in some sense. So we too have our uh, foot on the serpent's head. That's our posture In this life, because the kingdom has come. And so, this is what that means. It means from the moment that we put our trust in Jesus, something amazing happens. We are in Christ, He is in us. When He ascends in a very real way, we ascend with Him. We ascend with Him. Paul writes in Ephesians 2 6 that God has raised us up. Let that sink in. God has raised us up with Jesus and seated us with Him. In the heavenly places. I don't understand how that works. But that is what scripture claims. That we've been raised up and we sit with him. We reign with him. This is amazing. God has put all things under Jesus' authority and we become his co-heirs and we reign with him. We aren't with him physically in God's throne room. But in this age that Jesus has inaugurated in this life, we are in a very real way reigning with Jesus. Revelation 2, 26, 27 says, in Christ we will have authority over the nations. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, 3, we will judge angels. You see what's happening here? We are being raised up with Christ, not just into new life, but to reign with him. He is sharing his authority with, with you and me. And authority to do what? Authority to do what? To contend against evil to contend against the spiritual forces of darkness, to do battle with sin in our lives, and to give us the power to destroy the strongholds of sin in our lives. He's given us authority. So here's what that means. It means when you pray, your will be done, your kingdom come, on earth as it is in heaven, that that is an ascension prayer. You're praying to the ascended Jesus who is on high and we co-reign with And it's a declaration of the authority we have. So next time we pray that together, your will, your kingdom, here on earth as it is in heaven, realize that. You are speaking in the authority of the ascended Jesus when you pray. It is a derived authority, but it is real authority. And we've been given it by the King Jesus. So one day Jesus' kingdom will come fully on this earth. Um, Until then, we live in what is kind of shorthand called the already but not yet reality of the kingdom we know that in this life we still face difficult moments we still face sin um, and Jesus has inaugurated his kingdom but it hasn't come fully and so in this in-between time when he's come and when he'll return we live in the already but not yet but we live with his authority and under his authority and so there can be dark days but we don't lose hope because of the sight of the ascension we hold that before us it's our hope. It declares that Jesus is king, that he reigns now, and that we reign with him, and that one day he will return and he will make all things new. And that's good news. So you see, the ascension is critical to the gospel. Do we see that? You can't have the gospel without the ascension. That's why it's in the creed. That's why it's essential. All right, so that's what it is. That's what it means. Third question, why does it matter for us? Why does the ascension matter for us? I want to sum that up with two words. And the first word is confidence. Confidence. This is what the ascension means, I think. Jesus' ascension means that we can live with confidence before God. Confidence in what Jesus has done for you. Confidence that Jesus is your savior. That he is your king. That he's defeated sin and death and he reigns forever. You can rest in that knowledge. That is true. And nothing in this life can change it. And for me, that gives me great peace. It gives me great hope. That is true. And I know it's true. And the ascension tells me it's true. But also, also confidence before God as I walk with Jesus. Confidence as I walk with him in everyday moments in this life. Hebrews 4.16 says, With confidence draw near to the throne of God to the throne of grace, to the ascended Jesus that we may receive mercy and find grace to help him in time of need. Our union with Jesus gives us access to the Father, to the throne of God. Now I'll just admit, sometimes I struggle with confidence in my prayers. I struggle with confidence in prayer. It's it's that feeling where you feel like it's just not going anywhere, right? Right? Like you're praying and it's you know that's that old thing it's just hitting the ceiling or you're praying and there's a sense that no one's there. no one's listening. I don't know if you ever feel that, but what the Ascension says is, look, even if you feel that way, the truth is someone is there and his name is Jesus and he's on the throne. And we know that and we can be confident in that because Scripture in Hebrews fourteen four sixteen tells us that he is interceding on your behalf. I love how J.I. Packer put it in his little book on the creed when it comes to intercession. Jesus' role as intercessor at the throne of God. This is what he said. He said, Jesus is in the presence of the Father as one who has the sovereign right to make requests and take action in your interest. Christ's presence at the right hand of God guarantees God's grace and glory to you it guarantees God's grace to you see it's not a picture of Jesus interceding by like begging for God to to care about you that's not what intercession is so if that's what we've got in our head we need to set that aside it's Jesus representing you no matter what you've done no matter what You've done, no matter how weak or confused or what you're feeling or not feeling, Jesus is interceding for you. He is coming before the throne of God and there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. There's grace, there's forgiveness, there's there's Jesus there as an advocate for you because he loves you and God loves when Jesus intercedes for us because he loves us. He's our heavenly father. And so he welcomes us to come through Christ to him and ask for what we need. And so I just want to encourage you, all kinds of things can impede our prayers. Sometimes it's guilt. Sometimes it's shame. Sometimes it's a misconception of God. That he's a harsh or judgmental father, but he isn't. And the ascended Jesus who is at the right hand of the Father is interceding for you even now, even today, even in this moment to assure you that God the Father loves you and he loves it when you come to him and you ask for what you need. So, I just want to encourage you, no matter what you're feeling, you can do that because the ascended Jesus is interceding for you. second word <clears throat> next to confidence I just want to hit real quick is humility, humility, I think a right understanding of the ascension actually has the power to humble us deeply, not humiliate us, not power pushing down on us from a king on high, but to humble us. Uh, Humility, you might say, is seeing who I am in light of who God is or who Jesus is. So you wanna think about humility in that sense. So it just leads to a simple question, I think. Do you see Jesus as the king of your life? That's a posture of humility, right? Letting Jesus be the king of your life. How often do you ask what Jesus thinks about the decisions you're making in your life? If you're married, when was the last time you and your wife said, or spouse said, hey, we should pray about this decision that we've been talking about for weeks and weeks? Do you pray and seek God's input? He's king. Is he the king of your life? The truth is, you and I, we desperately need a king. <laughs> we cannot navigate life on our own. We think we can and we cannot. And our life proves that over and over again even if we live in denial of it. Right? So knowing that we have a king and saying I'm going to let you be king will actually enable you to live in godly humility. Um the problem is that we want to be king. That's the impediment there. We want to be king. The truth is without God we make terrible kings. It's just true. We prove it over and over. We need the true king to be king of our lives. That's what we need, and that's what we have in Jesus. Um, just an illustration, uh, I was thinking um, over the last two weeks, you know, I was saying we got to be at the Outer Banks in North Carolina, and I got to spend a lot of time on my father-in-law's boat. And I didn't grow up around boats, but it was really fun to be out on his boat. And, uh, and we would go out to these barrier islands, and uh, just kind of hang out all day, just park on these bare Islands, jump out and hang out. And to get there, you had to go through this shipping channel. And it was really interesting because I sat kind of up front with him and he was driving the boat and he was guiding us through this channel. He knew where all the channel markers were, right? He knew to be kind of keeping an eye on, on the depth um, and just watching, you know, are we getting too shallow here? He, he, he knew how to captain us, in other words, through this channel to get us safely where we needed to go. Now, the truth is, I really wanted to take the wheel. <laughs> I don't know anything about boats, but I wanted to be captain. There's something in me was like, I want to be captain. And so I, I asked him, he actually was really gracious. I said, can I, can I, can I drive? You know, at one point, point. and he, this was after watching him about 20 times, right, do this. And he was like, yeah, he's like, great. So I, I took the wheel, but he stood there right there with me. And he kind of said, okay, red right return, don't forget. You know, and like just go this way and watch, you know, watch this other boat on your left. He, he just was there kind of guiding me, you know, and, and it, was, it was awesome. But I'm just going to say, if I had just taken the wheel and tried to do it on my own, we would have run aground. <laughs> it, just, it was guaranteed, right? It would have happened. And, and I thought of that. Because I thought, um, I came across this uh, quote from this uh, well-known poem called Invictus. Maybe you've read this poem before by William Ernest Henley. And at the end of this poem, this is what he says. He says, it matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul, right? You've heard those words before. For the Christian, nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. And and I thought of my father-in-law, how he captained us through that channel. That's what God does, and that's what we need. We need a captain for our soul. We're not the captain. He lets us drive sometimes, but we're not the captain. And so I just thought, I thought of that because we need the king. And I wanna ask you just this week, just to maybe take a few minutes and think, take stock, ask, who is the captain of my life? Who is the king of my life? Who's on the throne? Is it me or is it Jesus? And my guess is if you're like me and you're honest, sometimes it's me and sometimes it's Jesus. Maybe a lot of times it's me and sometimes it's Jesus. But what what might be different if you gave more of your life to the kingship of Jesus and let the ascended Jesus reign and rule over your life? What might that look like? So what does the ascension mean for us? Two words, confidence and humility.